Hi everyone, I'm Sarah. And I'm Bella. And welcome to Industry's final episode of this season. Our theme for this month is composition. We're interested in how different projects and ideas are brought together, how the artistic vision can make a whole out of many parts, and the surprising places where these components can be found. This episode, I'll be chatting to Willow Sr., Oliver Towerick, and Eleanor Ledlam from the Ruskin School of Art about the process of putting together their final degree show. And I'll be chatting to Tina Moo about how she composed our amazing podcast jingle and the inspirations behind her music. We hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, it's Bella here, and I'm really excited to welcome Tina Moo. Tina is a musician originally from Sydney, Australia, and she's currently studying engineering at St. Peter's College, Oxford. She releases music on her SoundCloud for Tina, and she also composed the jingle for this podcast. Hi Tina, thanks so much for joining us today. Hello, thanks for having me. I wanted to start by asking a bit about how you became interested in writing music, because I remember when I first sort of reached out to you and asked if you wanted to do the jingle and and we kind of met, you said that you'd only been doing music for a couple of years, which really surprised me because I just loved what I'd heard of your music. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I was wondering what inspired you to want to start writing music in the first place and when did that kind of journey start for you? I think it started from when I was young and I experimented with garage band and like recording stuff and then like, overlapping them I was really really interested in that so from when I was young I learned guitar maybe when I was like 14 or something and then I just loved how it would sound like with another person basically yeah but there weren't that many people to play with so I just tried <laughs> to record stuff and then I got garage band and I was like oh my god you can do not just guitar you can do other stuff so I started there and then I moved on to Ableton literally a year and a half ago or something so I'm still not very good at it but there's a lot more options and like a lot more tools to use so yeah it's definitely been really interesting yeah are you like entirely self-taught like you taught yourself guitar no actually I had lessons for maybe a year or so so just like the basic stuff like chords major minor you know I think to an extent theory is quite important just to know like the basics yeah but overall I don't know much theory like I don't really think about you know modes and stuff when I write so Mm. I think there's just a element of knowing what I'm playing if that makes sense yeah definitely I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about composing the jingle for this podcast because I know you also recently remixed that jingle and released it as a single on your soundcloud blue sky so yeah what was the experience like of like composing the original jingle and then how did you remix it in that way so I had a very like a systematic approach to it, I think. So basically I just wrote some really basic chords because I wanted it to be more rhythmic. Mm. So I did that and then I tried to find some like samples, like drum and bass samples. I'm not very experienced in making it. So I just found some samples in Ableton. And then I watched some videos on YouTube, I think, <laughs> um, of how to like make beats that I like. So like four test style beats, so on. So I just did that. I followed it, basically. doesn't sound as good as the video. (laughs) So I did that, and then I added a new layer. I think it was, like, three, four layers of drums. And then I just tweaked the synth. 
and then I added some vocals. So basically, that's what the song is. So why did you kind of decide to remix the jingle? Like, what inspired you to want to do that? I just really liked how it sounded in the end. I feel like it has a very specific mood,、mm. so it's quite like cool sounding, like cold, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think it's the synth and like there's not much high frequency, whatever, to like pretend to know what's going on. I wanted to add some vocals to it, so I think I played around with vocoder. I feel like not many people uses vocoders, so I really wanted to. It's got quite like a. Hyper pop sound. It's quite like older tune, but also it's different. It's not very focused on one voice. So I played around with that. So I wrote like a synth line, whatever, and then I spoke over it, and it gave me like a weird robot sound that I really liked. I thought it really fit the song. It's got like a really cold, like inhuman vibe, if that makes sense. Hmm, that's really cool. Yeah, I did that, and then I just added some bass, and I thought it worked pretty well, and then I just made a new song. I love that. So one thing I kind of noticed about your music is you've dabbled in a few different styles. Are there other musical styles that you're interested in exploring next? Yeah, I'm interested in a lot of different genres. Just like whatever I listen to, I think I don't. I don't think there are like genre boundaries, so you can just do whatever that fits the song you're writing. So obviously, like there are boundaries as to like how technical it is. That's why I think I started with guitar music, just because it's easier to like record. You can express more just with like one instrument. But I think, yeah, the more stuff you learn, like I'm trying to learn more beat production stuff. Like I'm interested in jungle or just like really organic beats, like IDM, so on. So if I could do that, I will be really happy. So that's like my next. Well, that's my goal anyway, like to learn new genres and to like combine it with. Other stuff. That's that's really cool. I'm excited to see like what you release next. <laughs> Thank you. And I was wondering, you know, obviously we we've all been in various states of lockdown、uh, for a while. <laughs> yeah. And I I know you composed one of your singles,、uh, Right Thigh Twitching, during the pandemic. Yeah. How was it working on that during the pandemic? How has it been generally composing music like during this very strange time? <laughs> I think it depends on the songs. Like obviously that song. Is about sort of the pandemic because I was just really in a shit mood, <laughs> and I think I wrote it in like one hour. Like it、wow. just came out straight away because I was like, it's literally what I thought at the time, and the lyrics came out as well. So I think for that song, it worked really well. Obviously, I wasn't in a good mood, and it's not like a positive experience. <laughs> it's not like it's not like I enjoyed it, but I don't know. I only wrote a few songs during the pandemic, so I think it just depends on on my mood. Yeah, totally. And I think on that note, we should have a listen to this song. So here is, right thigh twitching. One, two, three. Love's mine. 
I can definitely hear in the lyrics of that song the influence of some of those lockdown emotions. Do you feel like now that we're coming out of lockdown a bit that your mood is changing at all when you're writing music? I haven't actually been doing much music recently. I think the degree really like affects my creativity. I just have like no time to do anything. Like Whenever I have free time, I just want to relax because it's so tiring. Yeah, I get that. At least recently, like, I think I sound very tired right now because I just woke up. <laughs> but um, it really depends on my mood. Sometimes I'm in, like, a very, quote-unquote, artistic mood. But other times I just want to, like, lie down, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely get that. What kind of stuff are you listening to at the moment? Like, do you have any recommendations for people who'll be listening? So I think the new Black Midi album released like a week ago or something mm. it's been really really interesting it's one of the like most interesting things i've listened to recently i really recommend it what else i've been listening to a lot of like shushu jenny haval but i don't know i just i like a lot of different stuff i'm open to anything really yeah how about you do you have any recommendations because we make um with every episode that comes out we make sort of playlists to go with the mm-hmm. episodes mm-hmm. so 
our last um episode theme was like ambiance so mm-hmm. I, I kind of did a deep dive into like the ambient music am- ambient music I love wikipedia that. page yeah that's because <laughs> i didn't know much of it yeah so i've kind of been listening to like um brian eno and stuff brian eno yeah is sick, but yeah. i also um because one of our guests in the last episode talked a lot about like the experiences of kind of feeling trapped in your room in lockdown and so <laughs> yeah. i was like i've been listening to in my room by the beach boys which i feel like just really sums up <laughs> yeah the experience of you know being in your room <laughs> in lockdown for sure so that's been like your vibe yeah like i feel like it's nice to be making these playlists because it, it kind of forces me to f- find new stuff i guess i think it's cool to like categorize them in a playlist yeah that's a really nice thing to do yeah, I definitely. Like, like, I remember when you had the idea, when we were thinking of the concept for the jingle, you had the idea to make a playlist. Mm, I love doing that. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed, like, the stuff you put on there. I'm glad. I'm glad I remember, but I hope they were good. <laughs> I'd love to hear, sort of, before we wrap up, what you're kind of working on at the moment. Do you have any sort of goals for where you'd like to take your music next? I think right now I'm focused on finishing my degree. It's, like, an overwhelming part of my life that I can't escape (laughs) so obviously I would love to do music on the side right now and music anyway for me it's just like an expression of how I'm feeling at the time so I'm just like chill about it like I'll see wherever it takes me yeah obviously I would love like more listeners whatever but I'm pretty happy with just doing my own thing yeah that's really cool And yeah, I'm really excited to kind of hear what you do next. And it's always a pleasure to chat to you. Thanks so much. Thanks for including my song on your podcast. It's like intimidating. (laughs) It's like my voice straight away, like, you know? Yeah. No, I get that. But yeah, when I listened to your um, samples, when you sent them through, I was just like, I really, really loved um, Reflections on the Beach at Night. Like that was one where I was like, oh yeah, I can see this being like a good jingle. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted something like similar vibes but I think what we ended up with is quite good I think it works yeah absolutely no I love it and I remember like playing it to the rest of the team for the first time and they got so excited oh that's nice and it really felt like okay this is a podcast now like this is coming together (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I'm glad well thank you so much for joining me today and for the listeners if you'd like to find more of Tina's music you can follow her on SoundCloud at 4Tina that's spelled the number 4 T-I-N and then the number four. And to play us out, we're going to hear another one of Tina's songs. This is her latest single, Blue Sky.
I'm very excited to welcome Willow Sr., Oliver Taurick, and Eleanor Ludlam, three of the current final year students at the Ruskin School of Art 2021. Willow, Oliver, and Ella, along with the other Ruskin finalists, have spent the past few months working on a series of projects in response to the cancellation of their usual degree show as a result of the pandemic. In May, they displayed their works at Unimon Gallery in London, and their online exhibition will launch on June 17th later this week. They've also been working on two publications, Scope Creep, and a longer publication, which is called Ruskin 2021. Hi, Willow, Oliver, Eleanor. Thank you so much for coming today and speaking with me. Hi, thanks for having us. Hiya, thank you. Let's just uh, jump right into the questions. Willow, what was it like setting up this in-person exhibition after being in lockdown for so long and, you know, collaborating with other people from outside the Ruskin? It was a very strange experience to try and, I guess, think about work and think about presenting in a physical space rather than digital and that's what we've been doing the entire year um so i think all of us were pretty shocked about that it it did prove quite a lot of work um and kind of collaborating with this uh exhibition director who was also the curator was really really exciting and i guess it was just really cool to to actually see a physical space and see the work there um, and especially get someone in who's like an industry professional to kind of sort all of the works out and, and, and do that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it seemed pretty unexpected that, that you were able to do it. But also, like, um, I, I was quite happy I got to see it in person and it was absolutely amazing. I thought that the, the space sort of flowed together really nicely. And yeah, it just it just was amazing to do to see your work in person. Mm. Yeah, I guess I was just wondering how long did it take to put together? I, I heard a rumor actually that you only had a day to do the changeover. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was really fast anyway, kind of the run up to it. We suddenly had a week deadline to put in an application for the show. Um, so everyone had to get together really fast. But then the actual kind of install, we had six of us um, installing and we had to get all the work from the Ruskin to London by 11am. So we were all up at like 6am. Ella was on the team as well. Yeah. And yeah, it was quite manic. <laughs> it was fun though. It was kind of um, a bit of a a fug of a day. Kind of, we had a bit of an issue with the van turning up a bit late and then getting to London, like sitting on the Oxford tube, which always takes longer getting there than you think it's going to um and then not having woken up very early because we're art students and no one ever thinks to schedule anything before 11 a.m so (laughs) (laughs) it's true but it was it was a fun experience um like particularly working with a different space I think we'd all kind of expected if we were going to do a show that it would be in the Ruskin like in our studios so then having it this new space we then were looking at although we didn't curate it ourselves it was was quite interesting yeah, and I sort of want to know what can we expect from the online exhibition, which is your degree show, and how will that differ from what this physical show was, was like? So I suppose most notably um, the digital format will be pretty different, but also everyone's work will be there this time, which is really exciting. So um, only 18 out of 24 of us took part in Unit 1, but it will feature work from everybody. 
and um, basically it's comprised of a number of different elements. So there will be a digital gallery where we'll be showing a work each in groups of four, but also a number of other components. So there will also be something called the window, which shows snapshots of more experimental work in um, what I believe is a looped video and the table, which includes long form writing and all of our statements. And there's a live space, which is going to be really exciting. And um, essentially that's going to have a program of like a bunch of different events and talks and workshops and screenings, all great stuff, basically. It sounds like you've fit a lot more into your degree show than you might have had to do before and really impressive actually that you've pulled all of this off why was it important for you to exhibit your work in both a physical and digital space and and really how did you select which parts of your practice you wanted to put in the unit one gallery versus this degree show so i suppose there are two parts to what an exhibition is meant to do which is like one show and then to like disseminate so it was kind of necessary for us to be able to reach a wider audience and be able to have people who weren't necessarily in, like be able to see it anyway. And the Unit 1 were able to do that in a way, but that was kind of an, an extra thing that we were able to do after the fact. Um, so the, the online show was originally serving this purpose of being able to disseminate our work on a wider scale. And the, the physical publication was there to have us the more concise and like physical thing that we could show for our time in this degree and in Oxford mm. because we had these three fronts now to uh, our work like one that was online and like one that's physical like in person one that's a book you kind of end up figuring out which pieces work best with those different formats and everyone's kind of ended up working in a slightly more like maybe slightly smaller or more digital way mm. in the past and then like only recently we able to start making bigger things we've only recently been allowed back in the studio so it's almost kind of the work kind of decides where it wants to be seen mm. would you guys say the same thing yeah yeah for me I think the audience has become like a really important thing when you kind of think about like presenting digitally or presenting physically and kind of what kind of impression your work's going to have and I think on digital format it's so easy to kind of work out with like really easy ways of of the work being accessed literally on like teams mm -hmm. um but I, I still think like the the fact that we had like a physical show um enabled us to kind of think about this completely differently and work out yeah what work might be good on digital pl a platform but um yeah might not necessarily be as good in a physical platform so I think that was like a really big like learning curve for a lot of us mm. yeah don't know what you think Ollie yeah I mean I work a lot with drawing and installation but also writing so like something that's quite important in my work is um what I referred to as the stored kinetic potential and um, basically a lot of my work is quite small so it's kept sort of boxed up and private and then it becomes activated by being installed and being able to like move around. And, you know, so you get this like breeze from people walking past ruffling paper. And um, that's pretty important. So the work that I decided to show in Unit 1 was the work that required that kind of orchestration that might not necessarily be able to occur otherwise. And then the work that I'm exhibiting digitally is text-based. So um, 
you know, that can exist really comfortably within a digital context because it doesn't really require like a sort of in-person happening or that kind of orchestration. So I think, um, you know, there is this kind of, I guess, ability of work to, you know, dictate what context it sits most comfortably in. How did you think creatively about using an online space to create an experience that is as immersive as a physical one? The structure of the online exhibition is kind of based off the Ruskin architecture. Mm. And so with the Ruskin building, you have these windows out front that have very expensive windows that have the ability to be projected on and show video, that it can be shown inside the school and outside of the school at the same time. And so that's why we have the window as this first kind of like rolling loop of everyone's work is like the landing site of this exhibition space. And then you go into these um, smaller galleries um, that group people and show people's work in a slightly more curated but more complete way. Um, and then you also have the table, which can show writing and like bits of the publication, bits of dissertations or writing about each other's work, mm. which would have been, you know, towards the front when you'd have, you know, your catalogues and you know, extra magazines or leaflets or um, or business cards. Yeah, so it kind of represents this architecture and that's how we kind of came to, like, thinking about what a website is beyond just, like, an artist website, which, you know, is more of a CV or portfolio. And I think what was also important was, like, making it as unlike a website as possible because everyone was kind of obsessed with this idea of having like texture or material, like physical elements. So a lot of stuff is going to be scanned, for example. Um, so kind of things that exist in the real in the real world rather than having this like plastic website that is quite inaccessible. Because I think a lot of thought was in going into the fact that people are quite overwhelmed by the amount of like online exhibitions that they have to go to or talks that they have to see. So how do we think about that and and make sure it's comfortable and, and like a good experience for everyone so scope creep it's kind of a weird name how did you come up with this concept and what's the significance behind this publication this tinier first publication so we kind of decided that we didn't want to just have a catalog in a traditional sense um, quite quickly when we were having discussions as part of the publication team. And we also very quickly decided that it wouldn't even be enough to have one that wasn't catalogish. It had to be something that could completely disrupt this idea of what um, an art school might put out as, as a document of their work. And so it was meant to be more collaborative and show these kind of uh, a, a studio in a way that we hadn't really had since being at home and we hadn't been in a studio for over eight months, we hadn't had that collaborative uh, way of working or even conversations. And so we really wanted like Scope Creep as a smaller publication to be able to take all of these things that wouldn't be shown as a final complete thing. And then in being that, it's all of these parts of a practice that sit just on the outsides like just beyond what you'd actually consider your practice, like the conversations, the collaboration, the mediums you might not normally use, your sketches, 
your photo documentation. And so scope creep is kind of meant to speak to this idea of something that is creeping on the outsides of your vision, like just beyond the focal point, like in the periphery. Mm. I really like that. And it was it was brought up beforehand, like uh, we were in a a talk with Justin Coombs, who's a studio tutor at the Ruskin, and he brought it up a bit in passing and everyone kind of heard it and was like, this is a brilliant name. We need to use this. And we had these little polls um, on just our Facebook group chat. And overwhelmingly, that was what that was what we picked. Yeah, because it's a term from like project management originally, isn't it? When like the scope of a project kind of exceeds its like pre-negotiated boundaries, which I guess essentially sort of corresponds to, you know, our situation where um, we couldn't have a degree show. So we were going to just like, you know, submit a portfolio. But then like that like grew into so much more. Right. And like all of these different components, like physically and digitally. Mm. Uh, how does this other publication which is your Ruskin 2021 publication, differ from Scope Creep? And what can we expect to find in its pages? So it's it's meant to be a lot more complete as in, in terms of the work that um, people submit, also in the uh, design that we did for it, because we're learning very much on the job with Scope Creep and we're able to like really polish and make this second uh, Ruskin 2021 publication feel beautiful in a way that was what we wanted to do when we set out we're like we want this to be a beautiful publication whereas the other one was meant to be a lot more um like rudimentary almost in a way it's computer printed instead of lithographically printed um and then that meant that we could randomize these um different paper types throughout it so it's kind of meant to be more like just kind of collected um whereas the uh, Ruskin 2021 publication has, you know, beautiful lithographic printing on silk and uncoated papers and stuff. And so it has two components where the scope creep has no real differentiation in what it's presenting. It presents it all at once. Uh, Ruskin 2021 has these two components of um, an artist double page spread and then responses that we've all done to each other across the year group. Um and it's not a, a chain, it's kind of all interlinked or like in little closed circuits in like of three or five somewhere. And so we all have had a res- an opportunity to respond to each other's practice, um, which goes in plenty of different mediums of writing, uh, installation, digital, mod- like 3D modeling, um, painting, which is kind of intended to help speak to the other person's practice, you know, give a little bit more information perhaps on the ways they might work or the things that they might not show specifically in their double page spread, like something that's auxiliary to their practice. I'm really excited to have a look at it, actually, because I I really enjoyed reading Scope Creep and I even um, noticed the different paper types and things like that and, and the sort of like textures and stuff. But yeah, it will be quite nice to see your work sort of laid out in such a, a beautiful way, as you say, and very professional. Mm. You definitely set an example for our, our year group, and we're going to have a lot to live up to. Well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll try. We'll try. <laughs> 
And and how was it working on these two publications collaboratively as a as a year group? Yeah, how how did it how did it work out in the end? It was really um fun because we kind of asked for pitches and then from these pitches we devised like little workshops and stuff where people could attend and so we kind of brought in people at all these different points where we could have different conversations and stuff. Like how did you guys find the workshops and little collaborations we set up between you all? Yeah, I thought they were like the most important parts because the team is quite small, like out of all the year group. Yeah, so the teams are all split up, so not everyone has the chance to kind of really know what's going on with the publication. Um, so these kind of small moments of being able to collaborate together or do small workshops or kind of do stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think that's like really key to how this whole thing came about. I don't know, I just really, really enjoyed it, um, kind of talking to people um, and exchanging ideas and, and doing stuff that you would do in the studio, but obviously being online. Yeah. Yeah, I guess especially because we did them in the um, in the term that we weren't like necessarily in Oxford or like a lot of us weren't anyway it was cool to be able to like still collaborate in ways that like may not have happened sort of organically just by virtue of us not being in the same place. So, um, you know, it was really cool to be able to do that. Yeah. In terms of the workshops, you know, not obviously not an ideal term, but probably the ideal time to do them because it meant that everyone was so keen to cling on to some kind of collaboration and conversation that it, we actually got a really good turnout as opposed to everyone being a bit preoccupied and busy with mm. their own practices. It meant that everyone was really there to invest it, into it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, could you explain a little bit more about these different groups that you sort of divided yourselves into? And then, like, how does that all come together in the end? Yeah, so um, you normally split into groups for a physical show anyway. Um, so you have a build team, you have, like, a curation team, you have a marketing team, et cetera, et cetera. But um, this time we kind of, we we split the groups so there's there's a digital team there's a bit a publication team and then there's a marketing team um so everyone kind of had a role and a job to do to kind of find make something um for the final like bit so yeah and i think a lot of us really wanted to make sure that the teams weren't just working on their own mm. um because I think there was a bit like people were a bit nervous that suddenly this team would just go away and work on their thing and be like, right, I need your work now. Um, but I think it was really, it was all on all levels, it was quite collaborative. Mm. Yeah, sounds like a, a good way of going about it and uh, playing to everyone's strengths. I guess um, for someone who wasn't on the publication team, it was really cool getting to see each other's work. Um, like I think especially because we weren't having an in-person degree show it's actually pretty likely that we just like never would have seen a lot of people's work again if we hadn't like done all of this stuff off our own backs um, so basically um, putting all of these things together because we just like wanted to I think um, brought us a lot closer together as a year and like encouraged talking about work even when we weren't necessarily in studio together. Yeah because like even the the physical show was something that we all put together like it wasn't yeah from our school like it was it was literally off the group's decision to do it mm. like a lot of the stuff has been motivated by the people in our year which is just yeah I think it could have gone like way different if there wasn't like a motivation mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's yeah, it's been great how invested everyone has been. Like it doesn't feel like there's been any kind of, you know, people are just kind of hanging on. Like everyone's really been involved and like even like between teams and stuff, everyone's been really interested and keen to offer help and um put in everything they could for, for this, you know, this collaborative public facing as we call them. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and obviously like when we found out that we weren't going to have an in-person degree show, like we're all pretty upset. But just like the way the whole cohort came together was kind of amazing. And I think like in terms of both the online show and the publications, um, we've managed to generate something that's, you know, just like pretty fresh and in a lot of ways I think more exciting than just having a traditional degree show. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, it's been a really cool learning experience and um yeah, something that's definitely like you know, made us sort of more of a more of a group in a time what that could have felt really disparate. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, I've I've felt the same about my year group. Like we've come together for different things as well. And it sounds like a really nice thing to put together a degree show and, and have that to rely on to fill your time during lockdown. Yeah. Well thank you so much for coming and speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having us. I'm really proud of you all and really look forward to seeing the online exhibition soon, which again, for the listeners, is coming out on the 17th of June. And just keep an eye on their Ruskin underscore 2021 account on Instagram, and the link will go up for that online exhibition. So just keep an eye on that. And if you want to find Oliver, Eleanor, and Willow on Instagram, their Instagrams are at Oliver Taurick at Ludd.Eleanor and at Willow.Senior. To find the publications and order them for yourselves, you can go to RuskinClassOf2021.Cargo.Site. That's everything we have for today. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to hear more of Tina's music, you can find her on SoundCloud at Fortina. And make sure you follow at Ruskin underscore 2021 on Instagram to stay up to date with all the news about Ruskin finalist degree show. And if you're feeling inspired by the themes we've been exploring, you could have a go at making a collaborative composition of your own with a group of friends. We've been having some fun playing Exquisite Cadaver, the technique invented by Surrealists where everyone contributes to assembling an image or piece of writing by each adding a new element to the composition. If you have a go at making one of your own, make sure you send us your creations. Thank you so much to all of our listeners and the amazing guests who have joined us this season. To stay up to date with industry, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Industry Oxford. We'll be handing over to the new sound team in the autumn. So stay tuned for more content soon. Bye!